You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Get your Bibles open back up. We're in Matthew 27, working our way on down toward the end of that. One more brief chapter after this, and we're done with the book of Matthew. Man, we just flew through that. (laughs) Yeah. So I trust everybody's had a good week. Hopefully it's been good. And the Lord, well, the Lord always blesses. There's no doubt about that. God always blesses. That's whether we recognize them or not. And uh, just to be able to revel in what God's done is really a blessing. Um, I'm going to have prayer before I, st- I start reading. And I uh, just would uh, share this with you as our congregation. Uh, one of our own, Dahlia Johnson, uh, you know, Carlos and Miriam sit over here with all their kids, uh, just about every service. And uh, last night, Dahlia, or yesterday afternoon, Dahlia had to go into the hospital with s- severe pains in her side, and they're still trying to figure out what's going on and what, what all is causing the pain. They see something there, they're not sure what it is, and they've run lots of tests. And I know the family would appreciate um, our prayers as a church, and um, so as I begin with our um, prayer for the message today, could we, I'm going to lead us in prayer, but that's all I want to do is lead. Would you please, would you pray along with me? And you know how you can pray together as a congregation? Sometimes if, if one guy is praying, if one man is praying, it's just to amen along with those points. Your heart's with them. Amen, God. That's, I believe that. That's what my desire is as well. Or go ahead and pray in your heart to the Lord. So let's bow together and we'll pray here to get started. God, I do thank you for the privilege of being in the house of God today with your people it's always a blessing to, to be with the body of Christ, to know that the head of the body is, is uh, Jesus Christ, and to know, Father, that you look down upon us with your great mercy and love um, each and every day, every moment of our life. So here, as we're gathered this morning, I do want to lift up Dahlia to you, Lord, along with this whole body here today. would ask that you'll show your great mercy to her, and Father, I, I'm asking for healing for her body wisdom to the doctors, comfort to her heart and to her her parents and family. And we just want to trust you for that, Lord. We ask that in faith, believing. And then as we study the Word of God this morning, I pray that our hearts would be receptive, that we could be alert and attuned to what the Spirit of God might be trying to prick our hearts about today. And I'll thank you for it in Christ's name. Amen. So I'm going to give you a title. It sounds a little odd. But it's, it's really very fitting for what I believe the message is sharing with us today. Providence or just a lucky break? There's a lot of people living their life today that think that, you know, if, if things went really good, well, you just had a lucky break. You know, some people just have all the luck. I, I've heard them say that. Or, or was it in the Christian's life, was it just the providential hand of God, guiding and directing in the way that he wanted it to go? Um, let me, let me share with you the difference between a miracle and what providence is. And I, I thank God for miracles, and I believe we still serve 
a, a, a miracle-working God today. I believe God can do anything He wants to still today and does do that. A lot of the miracles in the Bible that we read about, God now uses doctors today to do some of the very same things that He performed while He was here on earth. Thank God for that. I mean, God gives us His wisdom. Men now know how uh, to work miracles in some ways. But what is the difference? If you're talking about uh, if God worked a miracle or was it just the providence of God? Listen to this, if you will. The definition of a miracle is when God changes the natural course of things in nature in order to accomplish His divine purpose and plan. So God gets a hold of something on this earth and changes it so it can work uh, what He desires. For example, um, you remember the children of Israel, Pharaoh and his army is coming up against the backside of them. They're trying to get away, but there's nowhere to turn. The Red Sea's in front of them, mountains and rocks on either side. Now they're in really big trouble. But God blew a strong wind, if you remember that, and blew those waters apart, dried out the land, and they walked across on dry ground. Uh, when they got across and Pharaoh's armies got into the middle of that, um, miraculously, the hand of God lifted, the winds ceased, and that water came crashing back down upon all of them. That's where they found a lot of the enemy floating along the shoreline. I'm convinced that's how they got a lot of the weapons that they were able to carry out and so forth um, to go into battle with later on. That, that's, that's miraculous when you, when you see that, okay? Or, or, you know, the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, we find them going into a fiery furnace. Uh, heated many, many times more than it normally would be heated. And, um, and so they throw them into the fiery furnace because they won't bow down to this golden image. They only want to serve the living God. And so that does it. Nebuchadnezzar is so full of rage and fury. Open the furnace. The men that were throwing the guys in there were burnt up. But three guys dropped down on the floor and stood back up, looked around. Nothing's happening. All that happened to them was the ropes that had them bound were burnt off. That was it. And they looked around, there's a fourth man in the fire. That was Jesus. That's a miracle. That's the kind of God that we still serve yet today. I, I mean, he healed a leper to show his power over disease. And if you remember, he calmed that raging sea, the storm that was pounding against the boat, and showed his, uh, his power over nature and his ability to be able to cast demons out of people to show he had great power over Satan. I mean, those are miracles of God. He even raised dead bodies from their deathbeds to demonstrate the power that he had over death. God is a miracle-working God. And anytime God wants to do a miracle, God can and sometimes still does so yet today. Those are miracles. He changes the course of nature and events around you by His divine hand to make them fit His divine plan. Those are miracles. But please listen to this. There are other times that God doesn't change the course of nature to accomplish His purposes. He simply takes life's events as they are happening and uses those events, works those events to accomplish His purposes and plans. You would look at it and say, oh, I didn't see anything miraculous happening. I, I, I don't know, I didn't see any waters parting or any great things going on. What, was, what are you talking about? Well, there are times that God works His divine plan by the things that are just happening around us every day. And He, he uses that. Uh, so he, remember Joseph, 
His brothers sold him into bondage. I mean, God did not miraculously deliver him. He was sold into bondage, went into prison. I mean, some really bad things happened to Joseph. And God took life's circumstances and used those to accomplish his divine plan. That's called providence. God just working with the natural course of things and his divine hand presiding over the whole thing to make sure that it works out God's divine plan. That's called providence. Very different from a miracle, but the end result is the same. When a miracle is worked, the, 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 the plan of God uh, is allowed to happen. When providence takes place and God uses uh, the natural course of things in life, that still accomplishes the purpose that God intended to happen. When you look at our story here today, God is using providence. The natural course of things that's, that are happening around Christ and the men that are there to be able to accomplish his divine purpose. Before I read the, the passage, I want to I remind you of a story I read, I think it was last night. Some of you that like to read news articles may have read it along with me. But there was a restaurant where a waitress was trying to serve the people. And her, I'm guessing, ex-boyfriend came in and was really upset and mad at her for some reason. And, and uh, you could tell the situation was escalating into uh, a very ugly thing. And matter of fact, the ex-boyfriend had grabbed the hair of the, the, his uh, ex-girlfriend, the, the waitress. And the people sitting around there uh, could see this happening, and people that you would never dream um, would probably do something like this, jumped up and, uh, and went over to the rescue of this young lady. Well, um, he would, they were able to, it sounds like, take the situation outside, and the young man was still able, with all these guys that were uh, holding on to him, was able to get his knife out and threw the knife at his girlfriend, stabbed her in the leg, and yet they subdued this young man while uh, the police came and were able to usher her away. It's amazing the people that rise to the surface. You'd never dream someone like that would, um, you know, step forward and would uh, go into action uh, during a, a moment like that. I, I remember the guys on the plane. I wish I'd have read up on this. I was just thinking of it as I was sitting there. But if you remember uh, 911 and that plane that was going to be flown into... Uh, was it the capital they were trying to take it to? And yet the guys on the back of the plane, they saw that the, uh, the hijackers, all they had was uh, uh, box cutters that were using those. And, and they got the attention of several guys and they wrapped their jackets around their arms to protect them. And the famous wording we remember is, let's roll. You remember that story? And those guys jumped up and went and attacked the attackers and took them down somehow, some way, we don't know the whole story, but were able to divert the plane, of course, crashed it into that field. Was it outside Pennsylvania? Do you guys remember that? And uh, prevented a greater catastrophe than would have because somebody was willing to step up. Please listen to this. In a very dark moment of, of time, others you'd never dream would do something like this, jumped up and took care of the situation uh, during some real dark moments. That's what I see happening here in this passage of Scripture. Somebody that you wouldn't have even known, probably by sitting back and looking in a church service like this, that this guy was the kind of guy that he was. But I want to show you this kind of guy during one of the darkest... Nah, let me take the one of out of the sentence. During the darkest moment in history, 
this man jumped up and did some tremendous things to be very noteworthy of. God help us to take note of that ourselves. We're going to begin reading in verse 57. Christ has um, hung on Calvary. We watched him die last week. We saw the Roman soldier so stirred by this that I believe not only did he cry out, this was none other than the Son of God, I believe it was his confession of salvation. I really do. Uh, You read it and see how it was so moved his life. And then we get into verse 57. Notice how God gives us other brand new details about other men in the surrounding of the cross. Verse 57 says, When the even was come, there came a rich man of Arimathea named Joseph, who also himself was Jesus' disciple. You would have never known that beforehand, guys, until God told us this right here. Verse 58. He went to Pilate and begged the body of Jesus. Then Pilate commanded the body to be delivered. Just so you know, they wouldn't typically do that when, the Rome, when Rome would crucify a man. Remember I've told you they, uh, and be, uh, moving on to a Sabbath made this a little different. But normally they'd either let the guy hang on the cross for days, birds uh, you know, would strip their bodies and so forth, uh, or, and then they would take the body down. Sometimes they would just toss it on the side of a, a roadside for the rodents and animals to uh, partake of, and everybody that would walk by would see that and would know that you don't cross Rome. Or they'd take them down to Gehenna, toss them into that huge dump where the fire continually burnt and so forth. And, uh, and that's, that's how they would treat uh, a body like that. So for Uh, us to read that Pilate went and begged the body of Jesus and Pilate said sure go ahead is really something that you never really saw in a case like this verse 59 and when Joseph had taken the body he wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and laid it in his own new tomb which he had hewn out in the rock and he rolled a great stone to the door of the sepulcher and departed and there was Mary Magdalene And the other Mary, we read about these a few passages ago, sitting over against the sepulcher just off to the other side, watching this. Verse 62, now the next day that followed the day of the preparation, the chief priests and Pharisees came together unto Pilate, saying, Sir, we remember that that deceiver said while he was yet alive, after three days I'll rise again. Command, therefore, that the sepulcher... This is so significant, guys. Command, therefore, that the sepulcher be made sure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away and say unto the people, you know, he's risen from the dead. So the last error shall be worse than the first. Well, he, you know, went through life saying, I'm going to rise from the dead. And he had enough people believe that. Well, if they steal his body... And now all these people are really, really convinced that he really rose from the grave when in reality they just stole his body away. Then this last error will be worse than the first. It's kind of what they're trying to say there. Verse 65, Pilate said unto them, ye have a watch. Go your way, make it as sure as ye can. Do whatever you got to do to make sure there's no way somebody can come and rob the body of Jesus. Verse 66, so they went and made the sepulcher sure, sealing the stone and setting a watch. And before, uh, before we get into the message, you, you can be reminded of probably what you've studied like I have, some of the ways they would 
seal the tomb was, they would maybe take a, a rope and stretch it across the face of the rock, attach the, the rope to either side, um, and then sometimes they would put wax on the uh, ends of the rope and put some kind of a seal there to show that if this is broken, you, you could tell it was broken because the wax would be broken and so forth. Or, um, you know, they would put some other kind of a seal on there, tamp the rocks in all the way around it, and, and they had the Roman guards there. I mean, and you try to break into that, you got to answer to the Roman guards, it's going to cost you your life. Two guys would stand guard while two others rested, and then they would swap out, and who knows how many others happened to be there. So, providence, or was it just a lucky break that Christ died and rose again? Well, we all know the answer to that. It's the providential hand of God. So number one, God's providence in the timely appearance of Joseph. Look at verse 57 with me again. I want you to stay with me now. Verse 57, when the even was come, there came a rich man of Arimathea named Joseph, who also himself was Jesus' disciple. And remember, he went to Pilate and begged the body of Christ, and he said, go ahead. Um, they, when he took the body, he wrapped it in clean linen cloth, put it in his own new tomb, which he'd hewn out of the rock, put that big stone on the face of it, and... Um, then there was Mary Magdalene and the others that were in the background watching that. Now, let me say this about, about Joseph. Please remember the examples that I've given to you of some men, and maybe it's happened to you, maybe in a school setting, in a classroom, or in some other setting. You might have seen something horrible begin to happen, and it was maybe a, a dark moment. If you would describe it to us, you, you'd probably remember how scary it was and how difficult it was. And in some of the darkest moments of that time, somebody unlikely just stood up out of the crowd, stepped forward, and handled the situation. Uh, need to pray for these little boys in the cave. And is it Thailand? Well, these young guys are. I think they got four of them out. And uh, I mean, thankfully, there's some guys that have been willing to literally lay their lives on the line. I believe they've lost one man already in the process. But in those young men's darkest hour, it's a blessing when somebody else will rise up and, and, and uh, meet the challenge. I remember the airplane that had crashed in the ocean not that far off the shore, and uh, this many years ago. And I remember reading years ago in a Reader's Digest a story that nobody else would have ever picked up on unless somebody happened to notice some young man that kept swimming back to the plane and grabbing bodies and swimming back to the shoreline and would throw him up to the next person. They said, we watched him do this five or six times until somebody else said, I watched him do it until he just disappeared. And he drowned himself trying to rescue some, some people and save their lives. I thank God for people, though they might, please understand my, my wording here, they might have been closet people hiding just kind of, I don't know if it's ashamed or scared or whatever it might be, Christians who don't want to stand out for some reason, and they're also not outwardly really serving. But during the dark moments, somebody steps up and moves forward and handles what needs to be handled. That's Joseph. That's Joseph of Arimathea. You can't say a whole lot about him prior to this moment. I, historians look at each other and shrug I mean, he's mentioned one time in the Old Testament, and, I, and they, don't, they don't mention him by name. We'll bring it out here in just a moment. But Joseph, if you remember, was a uh, part of the Sanhedrin. 
You say, okay, here we go with those names and people. I don't have an idea who they are. Well, the Sanhedrin was the ruling, religious ruling body of the day. Please understand that it would be like uh, going before a courtroom. Uh, you could even in some cases be like standing before Congress. And um, they were the religious, supreme religious body in the land of Israel. And Joseph, so you understand about this, Joseph of Arimathea, um, would have been like a high-ranking member of Congress today. That's one of the ways you could maybe try to relate to him, somebody that is very prominent uh, in, um, in, a, in a ruling system, all right? Very highly esteemed by those people that were around him. But guys, here's the deal about him. Joseph was a secret disciple of Jesus until now. You, as I've said, you'd have never known that he was a servant of Christ. No doubt when Jesus was being, you know, Everybody was trying to condemn him. You know, the Sanhedrin was condemning him, and they wanted him to be crucified. Joseph was silently protesting their jealousy of Christ. You're in Matthew. Hold your place here and go over to the book of Luke. Matthew, Mark, and Luke chapter 23 with me real quick. Luke 23. And when you get there, drop down to verses 50 and 51. Luke 23, verse 50 says, And behold, there was a man named Joseph, a counselor, and he was a good man and a just. The same, listen to this wording, the same had not consented to the counsel and the deed of them. Well, that was the fellow Sanhedrins. He was of Arimathea, a city of the Jews, who also himself waited for the kingdom of God. This guy was saved. But notice what it says about them. He didn't consent to the council and the deed of them. In other words, he didn't agree with what they were doing. He was, uh, he was uh, against what was going on. He didn't toss his vote in with what they were trying to say there. And, and go on from there over to uh, John chapter 19. One more book to the right. John chapter 19. Man, it's good to hear pages rattling in here. Usually it's just my brain rattling, but it's good to hear pages rattling. John 19. And then look in verse 38, Leah. <clears throat> John 19, 38, and it says, And after this, Joseph of Arimathea, same guy, obviously, being a disciple of Jesus, please catch this wording, but secretly for fear of the Jews, besought Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him leave. Sure, go ahead. He came, therefore, and took the body of Jesus. But did you notice What he did was done secretly, and notice why it was done, because he was afraid. He was afraid of what the other Jews would do. Well, what what did he have to to really be afraid of, guys? Well, for Joseph to make this decision, you know, I'm going to stand out now. I I have got to do something for the one who has given his life for me. I'm going to do something, and for him to be willing to step out and become dedicated to Christ, to be made known to his fellow members of the Sanhedrin that he was a Christ follower would have cast him out of the synagogue. He would have lost right to the synagogue. You say, so what's the big deal? Can't go walking back in the synagogue. No, guys, to not be able to go back into the synagogue means you were scum of the earth, honestly. You lose all your rights and privileges and and no doubt any kind of pension, if they had such a thing back then, from the group that you were with. You could not be around any of your family members traveling to the synagogue. I mean, it was a big deal to be cast out of the synagogue. And yet he takes his stand. And 
still, that fear still kind of working in his heart. And uh, he knew that life is about to get very difficult for somebody that is cast out from the synagogue and can't really be a part of, of the big group again. But it's amazing what the death of Jesus Christ does for this, let me call him, this closet Christian. You know, there's a lot of Christians that just like Joseph. Now, I'm going to get into it a little deeper here in just a minute. There are a lot of Christians yet today who don't want to become the castouts. I don't want to become that one guy. I don't want to be the person that is different from the group that I've always run with. I mean, everybody at school, if I start acting different, if I really take a stand for the things of Christ, they're going to know that, and they don't want to do any, have anything to do with me then. I'll be the outcast. They were cast out of the synagogue in that day. A lot of Christians still the same way yet today. But I want you to notice how he begins to gain this holy boldness about him. Uh, and, and I told you that Joseph was mentioned one time in the Old Testament. It's in Isaiah 53 in verse 9. Listen to this prophecy. It's talking about Jesus. And he, Jesus, made his grave with, remember the two people, the wicked and with the rich, in his death. Just a prophecy about the fact that one day Christ would be buried with uh, uh, the wicked and the rich. Well, who was the wicked? Well, that's easy to figure out. Those two thieves on either side until Jesus won him to the Lord. One of them, amen. But with the rich was with Joseph of Arimathea. And they took his body and buried it in a, hey guys, this was a carved out tomb. This wasn't something that was just uh, some little cheapo spot that you could find quickly and dump a body and be on your way. I mean, this took a lot of work. And the rich, who could afford to do this? It was probably very ornate. And also, the Jew, and being Jews like Joseph was, if somebody who was a wicked man, a criminal, like Jesus was, they thought, was put into your tomb now you're no longer allowed to be laid in that tomb either because you'll lay defiled even in, in the grave. And Joseph probably knew all these things. I mean, he was part of the law system in that day, but it didn't matter to him. He was willing as the rich man that he was not to run around crying out, listen to how much money I've got, but secretly be willing to lay Christ in his own tomb and give up some of the greatest things that he had. So he goes to Pilate and he requests this body of Jesus and and we're guessing, why would Pilate, you have to know this, business hours are done. So to speak, the, the business doors are closed, and the day had finished. You don't go running up to Pilate uh, to carry on business at a time like this. So that was a little precarious. And number two, you as a, just a person out in the city weren't allowed just to go running up too. Uh, pilot and begin making requests like this and everybody else is going to begin to notice and to listen you want what you want the body of that scum of the earth up there yes I do would you please allow me to have him and it was obvious Joseph was somehow influential and was able to have some kind of influence in the life of Pilate and for some reason Pilate was willing yes go ahead and take him because I'll guarantee you the other two guys did not land in somebody's really nice tomb. I'll guarantee you their bodies filled the bellies of the vultures around the town. That's just the way they treated um, criminals. So, whatever the reason was that Pilate was willing to meet with Joseph, it took a whole lot of courage, I'm here to tell you, on his part to go to Pilate with such a request. 
Uh, uh, Let me read to you Mark 15 and verse 43. Listen up. Joseph of Arimathea, an honorable counselor, which also waited for the kingdom of God, came and went in boldly unto Pilate and craved the body of Jesus. In other words, he had to sit back and really work at stirring up some boldness inside of him. I mean, really work at, though he was that closet Christian and didn't want to get out and let everybody know that I'm one of those Jesus followers and I I don't know what could happen to me. I don't know what my fellow congressman might say about me if I could put it that way and and if I'm going to be cast out. But what was it that stirred him up to the point that he became bold enough to come out of the closet, if you let me use that wording, and to step up and go and, and receive the body of Christ? I believe it was that spirit of Christ that was at work in him, obviously. Now, here's what we have to remember. You have to remember that the body of Jesus had been beaten until he was unrecognizable. You wouldn't have known just by looking at his face. He was spat upon. He was treated like the, I've said it several times, scum of the earth. And for Joseph to make it known that he was a follower of this man made him especially vulnerable. But he went boldly to Pilate so he could show honor to the one who had literally changed his life. Now, can we just look up here and please listen for a moment? Guys, if there was ever a time, if there was ever a day when Christians need to come out of hiding, it is now. If there was ever a time when Christianity, and, I, and I'm thankful, I'm thankful that we've seen some good things taking place uh, in our country. I praise God for it in a tremendous way. But have you still looked around and see what else is going on in our country? Have you still seen how sin runs rampant, drunkenness, and, and um, uh, drug-crazed people, the opioid problem that is seen around America? I mean, it's common on television programs to advertise adultery and fornication. It's just there for your entertainment. If you want to watch the programs and the, the filth that goes on there, I'm just saying in, in America Day today, we are living in a dark hour. We're living in a time where sin scours the earth. It really does. And if there was ever a time when a Christian that might be afraid to really step out and let everybody know that, number one, I'm a Christian, and I'm not ashamed to let others know that I'm going to be a servant of the one that hung on the cross, if there's ever a time when Christianity needed to step forward in a dark hour, it is right now. I mean, a time when our young people are not afraid of what? your group would say about you if you took a stand for God and say I'm not going to be involved in the drinking party I'm not going to be involved in taking of the drugs I'm not going to be involved in sleeping around with other kids in town I'm going to take a stand for God well preacher if we did that do you know what they'll say about us I know what they're going to say about you I know how they treated Joseph I know how when somebody else in the word of God or some of my good friends had a good friend his name was also Philip. And I remember very specifically in, during an English class in our, uh, in our school, Franklin High School, Philip would carry his Bible with him to school. And it wasn't a, a big one like this. It was one of the smaller ones. But he would sit it on his Bible. And I remember the teacher coming by and saying, Philip, why do you have a Bible on your desk? It was back in the 70s. Um, he's like, because I, I like to read about the Lord. It, it, he means a lot to me. She's just, hmm, that's interesting. And some other students around him, I noticed them turning and looking, and in my heart, I was so proud of somebody like him that was willing to do that. 
But I want to tell you this, guys. Um, um, what did they call those um, on Friday afternoons? They would do these things in the gymnasium to encourage the football players that were going to play that night. Pep rallies. It's a hard word to remember. <laughs> I, I promise you this. You never heard the, uh, over the intercom. They, they would call all of the football players and they'd go running across the stage and everybody would cheer for them. We're going to have a great game tonight. I promise you this. You never heard the name Philip. I wish I could remember his last name. You never heard that. He wasn't one of those guys, hey, Philip, letters. Does anybody know, do they still letter today? They still put letters today in high school? Still do that? On jackets? And you're the cool guy in school now if you can wear your jacket with a letter on it? Okay. Philip didn't letter in Bible carrying. But I'll tell you what, when we get to heaven, I'd love to be beside him. I'd love it if my mansion was somewhere near him. You know what Philip was? I'll tell you what he was not. He was not a closet Christian. Philip knew that it was a dark day and somebody needed to step up and let their light shine. Joseph of Arimathea was one of those men. He came out of hiding to do something for Christ. And again, God help us to come out of our secret Christianity and take a bold stand for the things of Christ today. It's like Jesus told us, you know the words, guys. Luke 8, 16, no man when he hath lighted a candle, you know, you get saved. No man when he hath lighted a candle, cover it with a vessel or put it, put it, uh, putteth it under a bed, but setteth it on a candlestick that they which enter in may see the light. But we've got a lot of Christianity that wants to go diving and hiding under the bed and, and don't want to come out of the closet. Don't ask me in this lifetime. Life is hard enough. I don't, please don't ask me to be one of those people that, that everybody knows I'm one of those Christians. Just let me sit quietly in the background and nobody poke fun of me. Just kind of, can I just blend in with everybody else? And I, and I know I'm a Christian, and, but I, I don't care if I blend in with all the lost people and everybody else. Man, this is a day and age when people need to stand up and I don't mean just jump up in the middle of a classroom and say, I'm a Christian. <laughs> Everybody's going to run out of that classroom. But you're not ashamed either to bow your head and say prayer for a meal that you're having or to encourage somebody else with a, an issue that they might be having in, in, a, in a spiritual way and, and to just be willing to let Christ use you in a darkened age. Joseph didn't mind. He didn't mind all of the... Very, very expensive embalming material that they had to use to be able to bury him with. Multi-thousands of dollars it cost. Him and Nicodemus, by the way. But it was worth it to him. Christ to him was worth giving everything that he had. And they did. They spared no expense to do so. Nothing is too great a sacrifice to make for Jesus he is worth giving my life to full-time service if that's what God calls you to do. He's worth that. To our young people here this morning, young people, Jesus Christ is worth laying your life down for. He is worth that. He's worth giving up. Maybe, I, maybe God may or may not call you to do this. I don't know. 
but he's worth giving up a high-dollar job that you might be able to get in order to be able just to serve God full-time, maybe as a missionary, maybe as a pastor somewhere, maybe as a who knows what God would have you to be doing. Jesus is worth sacrificing my all for that. He is. Well, what, let me close out with this last thought here. God's providence also is shown in the crafty plans of the priests and the Pharisees. Now, I kind of mentioned that to you, and I, and I showed you how they said, you know, they go to Pilate, and they said, look, you know what his disciples said, <clears throat> you know, after three days he's going to rise again, and, and, and let me say what else they didn't say. We know what those scandals are going to try to do. They're going to try to sneak in here at nighttime, steal his body away, and, and run off with it and hide it so nobody can see it, and then run around telling everybody that he rose from the grave. And they said, so let's do something to make sure they don't do that. And Pilate's like, go ahead. You have your watch. Make it sure. And they did. And the Roman guards were already there. And the huge stone and everything they could do to possibly make sure that nobody could sneak in there and get him out. You know what that did? And I'm just going to run to the end of my message. You know what that did? The providence of God overrode the plan of the Pharisees and the scribes. You say, how? Because when Jesus Christ did rise from the grave and they got there and the stone was rolled away, you could make no mistake that this was nothing but the providential hand of God. There were Roman soldiers there. Nobody can break through that. Uh, The the stone was so huge. Uh, And by the way, like some people say about Jesus, well, he didn't really die. You know the word they like to use. He just swooned on the cross you know what I'd like to say to those people Um, those of you that think that he just swooned and he was still really alive would you let us beat your back with a cat of nine tails sometimes till your entrails hang out would you hang on a cross with spikes in your hands and your feet would you let us punch you in the face until you're you're totally unrecognizable would you let us do everything that happened to Jesus Christ on the cross oh 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 and by the way let us drive a spear in your side till it pierces up into your heart and pull it back out and then let me just find out how much you just swoon he did not just swoon he died for our sins and when he came up out of that grave and that huge stone that was rolled in the face of it and the roman soldiers on the outside Nobody could rightly say, you know what happened. Those disciples came along and just stole the body. Can't say it now because it's sealed, solid, and sure. And the providential hand of God was even on that circumstance to show you and me today that we serve a mighty God. We really do. What, what a providential God that takes the cunning, crafty workings of little men on this earth just, you know, and I know God's not like us, but I, can just, I envision him just smiling and shaking his head, saying, I'm going to work that out for my good. For their good and for my glory. You just wait and see. And he did. Jesus Christ, and we're going to go into this. You know the resurrection. Jesus Christ lives today. And God watched over him in, in a tremendous fashion. And all those circumstances that God had his hand upon and all the men, and if I could just, you know, wrap the message up with this this morning where are the men who realize we serve a mighty God and that one day when I'm up there it'll be forever and my little bitty lifetime down here is just this much come out of your hiding 
God help us to come out from under the bed, you know, where we hide the candle. And, and when men need to stand up in a dark hour, it's not time to go running back and hide in your closet Christianity. Somebody at your house needs to know Christianity is real. Somebody at your workplace needs to know that God lit a fire in your heart and He's changed your life inside out. Somebody around you needs to know that He's worth giving anything uh, and sacrificing anything in my life to be able to serve Him. If we'd just be willing to stop being secret, closet Christians. God's looking for some Josephs. I know there's no Arimatheans around here today. God's looking for some people from Sioux Falls and our surrounding communities that will be willing to step up and say, I, I, I want to be a Joseph. I'm stepping out today and I want to serve God. And if you look at your life and you say, you know what, preacher? Half-hearted. Scared. I, I, I don't want to get up and, and be in front. I am not, I'm not that kind of a person. But him, so great and so mighty and so powerful, he's worth anything that I'm going to lay my life down for. So what do you do in a service like this? What do you do with a message in a passage like this? What do you do on a Sunday morning with a passage like this? Me, I want to just lay my life down fresh and anew. I want a Romans 12, 1 it all over again. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God. This is your, it's just your reasonable service. Are you willing to lay your life down, step out during a dark hour, and say, I'll be that one to serve you? I want to ask if you'll bow your heads with me. Your heads bowed and eyes closed. Go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, I, I thank you again, Lord, for the blessing of showing us in the Bible, Lord, men like Joseph, and yet over all of those circumstances, one great providential hand of God orchestrating things to prove that God is God and that you're going to have your plan. You're going to work your divine plan in all of our lives, Lord. I, I pray for the Christians here this morning, God, please. If we have been so afraid that we've hidden or something in our life has held us back, could today be a day that somebody steps forward and said, I'll serve, I'll give my all. Whatever God wants to take from me, use in my life, I lay my life out in service for him. If someone's here today and they're not saved, God, I pray that you'll help them to understand the great sacrifice Christ did make for them on Calvary for their sin debt. Pray that you'll stir their hearts with conviction and draw them to you in a saving way today before it's too late. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.